And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. The new documentary, Hollow Tree, follows three Louisiana teenagers as they navigate the impact of climate change. The Coastal Desk's Hallie Parker will bring us that interview. And later on, it's been more than 100 days since the U.S. Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade. We'll go back to Mississippi, to the Mississippi Clinic, the Pink House, that was at the, that was at the center of the legal fight. But first, next Tuesday is Election Day, with both the U.S. House and Senate up for grabs. Here in Louisiana, there are, as always, statewide and local local amendments before voters and local races up and down the ballot. Joining us to talk about the election, what we know so far, and what we're looking for on election night are Stephanie Grace, editorial page director for the Times-Picayune New Orleans Advocate, also a columnist, and you can read her work at NOLA.com, and Capital Access reporter Paul Braun. Happy Friday, Stephanie and Paul. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Paul, let's start with you. Uh, you've been looking at the early voting totals here in Louisiana. What can you tell us so far about what you found and what it might mean? Yeah, well, I mean, I think overall um, what we're seeing and we've seen over the last few years is that early voting, whether it's absentee by mail or in person during the roughly seven days that we had for early in-person voting this year, it continues to grow in popularity. So you can make some predictions about, you know, those ballots are going to be sealed until election nights, but you can make some predictions based on who is casting their votes. And so far, it looks really good for Republicans. Their turnout has been very high. Um, And for Democrats, the results have looked pretty rough. There's one metric in particular that um, folks have been looking at, and that's the black vote and the percentage of voter turnout that has been black voters thus far. Uh, Right now, that's hovering around 25 percent, which is far below where pollsters and political analysts say it would need to be for for Democrats to be competitive in the race. That's not entirely surprising. It's kind of a low energy election cycle for Democrats. At the top of the ticket, everybody expects John Kennedy to easily win re-election in the Senate. Uh, not a lot of competitive races for the U.S. House seats up for grabs. So it's um, it, it looks like we're going not going to see a ton of surprises on election mm-hmm. night based off of what we've seen so far. And and Stephanie, uh, mm-hmm. you know, obviously Tuesday we'll have the midterms, we'll have the elections. <laughs> and yet here in Louisiana, it already feels like the race for governor, which is next year after yeah. the, the upcoming elections, that that's that's already the heating up. I mean, did, can you tell us kind of what what the latest is with, with this 2023 race? Well, again, once we get past Tuesday, which is a big deal out there in the country, less of a big deal here, as Paul explained, you know, kind of a foregone conclusion most people expect. Um, You know, the next big thing is an open seat for governor. Um, John Bell Edwards is term limited. This this does not happen every day. It happens usually once every eight years, sometimes every four years, depending on the circumstances. But, you know, it's the big prize. It's an incredibly powerful office in the state. Republicans who take make up a majority of voters, people who vote Republican not uh, in the state, you know, a lot of them are chafing and having had a Democratic governor, they're ready for a switch. So then the question becomes which Republican? Um, Jeff Landry, the Attorney General, is the only declared candidate. He's someone who's a culture warrior. I think we all know about him. So then, you know, there's a spot for an anybody but Landry candidate, and that's where it's really interesting. So there are some other kind of lesser known people who are talking about it. There was a forum this morning for a political group called Elevate. Sharon Hewitt, the state senator from Slidell, 
said she's seriously looking at it. Richard Nelson, a very kind of a young up and coming house member from the North Shore, also looking at it. Billy Nungesser, the lieutenant governor, who's long been expected to compete. He's someone who's a Republican, but has a good relationship with John Bell Edwards. It would be expected to be able to get a lot of Democratic votes. He's not certain. He said he's going to decide in January. And the, the thinking is he's kind of waiting to see what happens Tuesday, not in terms of who wins in Congress, but whether that frees up some of the big names who are in Congress in Louisiana to turn around and take a look at running for governor because there are three of them that are kind of, that people are talking about and certainly courting. One is uh, Bill Cassidy, who's not on the ballot. He won two years ago and then turned around and voted for impeachment. So, you know, he's persona non grata with some Republicans. Also look at John Kennedy and Garrett Graves, the Congressman from Baton Rouge, both of whom are on the ballot, but could turn around mm. and run for governor. Well, we'll obviously uh, be talking about that race uh, the weeks and months to come. And obviously, we'll be talking about Tuesday's uh, results. And you can stay with us at WWNO.org, WRKF.org for those results. Stephanie Grace and Paul Braun, thank you guys so much for joining us on Louisiana Considered. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered. I'm Patrick Madden. Sinking land, flooding, hurricanes, climate change, sea level rise. Wrapping your head around these big environmental issues is hard. A new documentary film, Hollow Tree, follows three Louisiana teenagers trying to do just that. The film will debut at the New Orleans Film Festival on November 5th. The Coastal Desk's Hallie Parker spoke with the documentary's young stars, Mackenzie Fongi, Annabelle Pavi, and Tanyelma da Costa, as well as Hollow Tree's director and filmmaker, Kira Ackerman. So how did you all come together to make this film? I guess just to lay a little bit of groundwork. The film conceives of filmmaking as a classroom where everybody is learning together. Um, myself, producers Monique Walton and Chachi Hauser, um, Tanyelma, Annabelle, Kenzie, and all of the other people in our community who we interact with. And part of the learning is, is us just learning from each other and having different life experiences based on our geography and identity. And so I, I chose to work with Annabelle, Kenzie and Tanyama because they all live in very different places in the state. And those places are experiencing climate change in very different ways. Right. So Tanyelma is from Baton Rouge, Mackenzie or Kinsey is from Homa, and Annabelle is from Lafayette. And when you watch the film, it feels like you're not only following each of your individual journeys, but also how they're interconnected. When did you all meet? Um, the first time we met, I remember, was, well, was the film, but it was when we first looked at the, it was the day that we first looked at the Mississippi River map. And I mean, we also met at the Mississippi Levy. <laughs> at the levee and, and the bridge. But I, I distinctly remember that was the first day we looked at the map and looked at the different routes that it had before. And we started just having questions and talking about it. And that happens throughout Hollow Tree, right, Tanyelma? You three are learning along with the viewer about the big problems facing South Louisiana, where you all have grown up. So what was it like going through this journey together? So this experience was very eye-opening to me. And it was a lot of, I don't know, like I, I knew things were happening around us, 
but to actually go to different spots and make connections within, you know, within like ourselves and then with Tanyama and Annabelle, it's like us all coming together. It really like widened, well, widened my view on a lot of things for sure, because we all have very different viewpoints on things. So like what things that Annabelle thought about and things that Tanyama thought about, like never crossed my mind. I'm like, wow. Like y'all really like brought more like sight to something that wasn't really seen on my end. Yeah, um, for me as well, I've had so much fun. I've gotten to see so many things that I, I don't think I'd ever have any um, a, a, any opportunity to see. And it was really good that we had each other throughout the whole process to kind of bounce off of each other all the time. Um, and like how our questions would develop when like each of us um, reflected on what we were facing. I think that was pivotal to everything really. And um, we definitely got out much more out of the experience because of the fact that it was like this constant like back and forth and just like the way that like our, our, our ideas were able to like um, just develop um, and I mean, mind blowing things, you know, like these, I'm like, why was I never taught this? Why I live here? Why don't I know this? Like, no one's talking about this. Yeah. And we watch you three visit sites across South Louisiana to really start learning about the state's past in order to better understand how we got here. You speak to the Army Corps about the history of levees on the river, visit LSU's giant river model and talk with your family. What sites and conversations really stood out to you? Two of the most influential kind of explorations that we did while filming. One of them was at the Whitney Plantation, which is, it's like one of the oldest, it's a plantation that displays the life of an enslaved person. And it's also a long river road. So I got a deeper understanding and how enslaved people constructed the river and how our levy systems depend upon this history of enslaved people. And then eventually we also went to Cancer Alley and the direct correlation of this community of people who were living adjacent to the, to the river and who are still facing the repercussions that the, the problems that white people brought to this whole story. Tanyelle Marakenzi, could you maybe talk more deeply about our visit to Cancer Alley? Yes, yes. Um, that that's definitely when I interviewed Eve, and she's a cancer survivor and lives um in, in Freetown. And you know, she's Freetown is this um this town that uh, it, it's near a plantation, so it's like along Cancer Alley. And um she's been living there her family for generations uh, after slavery and um them only been able to afford that plot of land and that's all that they've um ever had it's a predominantly black um uh black town population and it's just seeing that like taking from what i heard and learned from annabelle and her experience at whitney plantation and then just seeing how that it's just um what we're seeing now with the petrochemical industry kind of replacing, in a way, kind of uh, replacing the same role that plantations have had. 
Can you guys kind of speak to how you guys were thinking about these issues before having this experience? And then what started going through your mind as you all started talking to each other? Before connecting with uh, Annabelle and Tenyama, we were kind of brought up that it is, you know, things are the way they are and you really don't ask questions. That never really, you know, sat well with me. And so one day in class, it was eighth grade year and my teacher was a she, she was a social studies teacher and she told she told the whole class she said um erosion is such a big big thing and one day all of louisiana is going to be underwater and just you know randomly filming one day I, I i said that and from there and i was like so now what does that mean for people you know you know that like that are still living here because so many people call the bottom of the boot Louisiana home, you know, down in Homa, down Dulac, down Pornishan, just we all like this is our home. So that really raised questions to me as, as in like, what is going to happen for us through here? Like, what can we do to prevent our forever homes from being gone forever? And I'm just so curious because at different points of the film, it really seems like it stressed just how important it is to understand how we got to this point. Um, I remember there's one moment in the film with Tanya telling her baby sister not to forget the floods of 2016, right? Because forgetting, she says, doesn't fix the problem. And so I'm wondering from your perspective, why is understanding the state's history, understanding how the land was built, what slavery has to do with it, why is it important to understand all of this? I think that once I understood a deeper history of everything, I kind of could see where we all currently fit into the picture now and how, even though we all live in separate places, understanding that we are connected through the river, makes me feel this kind of sense of community and humanity within even even the faults of our history. And I think approaching everything with a sense of, sense of compassion and a sense of, yes, mistakes were made in our history and understanding that history, but being able to say, we have an issue at hand and we understand the issue and I can communicate with these people in these my in my community and we can find a solution or we can spread the information that we have now. And what are you all hoping the audience takes away from Hollow Tree? Um I'm kind of hoping that it'll get more people to get out there and not just watch things fly by them. Like if if, if there's a, if there's a chance for us to get out there and make changes and keep each other together as a community, as a whole, you know, just making sure that, that we're fighting against the change that will not change us. You know, like I understand that a lot of change is happening, but if we can stop it from, from coming in between us, you know, and, and affecting our livelihood, then we should get out there and fight for it. Yeah, and and I think also, uh, in addition to everything that Kenzie's been saying, is that like community is really important. So I think that everyone approaches the 
climate crisis and they're like, oh, it's too much, it's too many things all happening at once, it's too, it's too big, we're never going to solve it, you might as well just give up, accept it for how it is and just keep your head buried in the sand. And I think that community is really important because you, realizing um, that we have a voice is like the first step, but then realizing that we're in it together is the most, I think is the most important thing. I think that I hope like when people watch it, they're, they they can think about how, you know, solving it is not a one person um, task. And it's also not like a push it to somebody else to figure out or a certain group to figure out task either, that it really does involve like everyone being able to come together. I think something that I want people to walk away with or maybe not walk away with is a sense of fear, but more so invigoration for for change because that's how I felt after experiencing um not only watching the film but everything that we we did and everything we learned. I've been speaking with Mackenzie Fongi, Annabelle Pavi, and Tanyelma DaCosta who are featured in the new documentary Hollow Tree, along with the film's director Kira Ackerman. The film will debut at the New Orleans Film Festival on November 5th. The Coastal Desk is supported by the Greater New Orleans Foundation, the Walton Family Foundation, the Moreau Foundation, and local listeners like you. And you're listening to Louisiana Considered here on WWNO and WRKF. I'm Patrick Madden. It's been more than 100 days since the Supreme Court overturned Roe versus Wade, and Jackson Women's Health Organization, the clinic at the center of the case, has been closed for months. Still, supporters continue to show up. The Gulf States newsroom's Maya Miller talks with local activists about what keeps them coming back to the Pink House. The final days of the Pink House were chaotic, media from abroad clogging the streets, with abortion rights supporters on one side of the sidewalk and opponents on the other. Back in June, John Osborne was one of more than a dozen there to show support for reproductive rights, even though the state's only abortion clinic was hours away from shutting its doors. On a Saturday morning in October, the street is quiet. But Osborne is still here. On this particular morning, he's one of two older men outside of the abandoned pink building. They hold poster boards nearly as tall as they are that say, honk for choice and row, row, row your vote. We, we just feel compelled to keep this issue in front of people. He's part of a group called Stay Pink. Every weekend, he and a handful of other activists gather on the sidewalk to make sure the fight for abortion rights continues, even though the clinic is closed. Once the clinic was actually closed, you know, there was a lot of emotion, a lot of reaction. We want to capitalize on, on that uh, emotional reaction. As Election Day gets closer, Osborne hopes people driving by will be inspired to join them or go vote. Heidi Barnett co-founded Stay Pink. Sometimes she joins Osborne on the street, but lately she's phone banking and sharing election information across her networks. The like tragedy of overturning Roe v. Wade is people are going to have abortions. They're going to have them anyway, whether they're legal, safe or not. So the minute they pass that, they sign death sentences for so many women. She says the government hasn't done anything to support or improve day-to-day -day conditions in a state that has some of the highest rates of maternal and infant deaths. Mississippi State Health Officer Dr. Daniel Edney estimates that 5,000 more babies will be born in the state now that abortion is illegal. 
all the babies, what, protected 5,000 more babies when our system can only, can barely handle the 4,000 now? And the antis want to hand them a, a can of formula and a box of diapers and walk away? That is not healthcare. That is not supporting women and babies. State leaders have done a couple of things. Both the lieutenant governor and the speaker of the House created legislative committees to make recommendations that support mothers and families for the upcoming session. But members of Stay Pink want something more immediate. When the Pink House was open, volunteers, known as Pink House Defenders, would escort patients past protesters into the clinic. And Barnett wants to pick up where they left off. Her daughter, Wren Allen, was actually the last defender to be trained. I don't even think they realized that that was going to be the case until after the Dobbs decision got leaked a few weeks after I started. Allen is grateful that her mom is carrying on the torch. What does that feel like to you? Um, I'm really proud of my mom. I'm really proud of John. To be able to sit out there every single day and deal with everybody um, coming at them left, right, and sideways. But she hasn't been able to join them, even though she wants to. And I know a lot of the other defenders feel that way, but there's just some sort of a mental block. Yeah, the feelings are complicated. She's glad to see so many others getting involved with reproductive justice, but reminds those fighting that it'll be a long haul. And if you put all of your energy into it right now, you're going to burn out. And that's not useful to you. That's not useful to me. That's not useful to the movement. It's all about sustainability, baby. For abortion rights activists and opponents, sustainability is top of mind, with midterm elections right around the corner. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Maya Miller. Is a partnership among public radio stations in Mississippi, Alabama, and Louisiana. This is Louisiana Considered. And that's going to wrap up our show today. I'm Patrick Madden. We want to thank all of our guests uh, that were on the show earlier today, including Capital Access reporter Paul Braun, Stephanie Grace from the Times-Picayune New Orleans Advocate. We also heard from the Coastal Desk's Hallie Parker and some of the uh, folks from the new Hollow Tree documentary. And we just heard a great feature from the Gulf States Newsroom's Maya Miller. Today's episode of Louisiana Considered uh, was produced by Alana Schreiber. Our digital editor is Caitlin Umholtz. And our engineer today was Garrett Pittman. You can listen to Louisiana Considered Monday through Friday at 12 noon and 7.30 p.m. It's also available as a podcast on Spotify, Google Play, and wherever you get your podcasts. Louisiana Considered wants to hear from you, so please fill out our pitch line to let us know what kinds of story ideas you have for our show. And while you're at it, you can fill out our listener survey. We want to keep bringing you the kinds of conversations that you would like to listen to. And a quick plug for our election night coverage here on WWNO and WRKF. That will be kicking off at 7 p.m. That's when we'll bring live special coverage from NPR. And we'll also have Aubrey Purcell with us in the host chair to bring you results from Louisiana as they as they uh, come in. The polls are expected to close at 8 p.m. And Paul Braun, our Capital Access reporter, will be there as well. So stay with us and NPR on election 
election night as we bring you the latest from the midterms. Again, that kicks off at 7 p.m. and is expected to go until midnight. So so stay with us. You can also go to our websites at www.org and wrkf.org to get election results and all the races. Have a good Friday. Major support for Louisiana Considered provided by Rouse's Markets, a Louisiana shopping experience. More at rouses.com with additional support from the Sazerac House.